This episode is part of the editorial season of Inside Illustration, a brand new suite of content brought to you by the Association of Illustrators. Here we explore the essential aspects of editorial illustration from both the commissioner and practitioner sides, examining the qualities that make excellent editorial images. Members of the AOI have exclusive access to the full range of content from theaoi.com forward slash inside hyphen illustration. Included here we have in-depth articles, resources, the opportunity to take part in a creative course on editorial illustration and the full podcast episode. I'm your host, Rachel Emily Taylor, artist, writer and course leader of BA Illustration at Camberwell College of Arts. Editorial illustration is a highly visible area of illustration, commissioned across print and digital platforms, encompassing a hugely diverse range of visual approaches and subject matter, from current affairs and portraiture to food and lifestyle. And today we're delighted to welcome two experienced voices from the editorial world, New York Times art director Curran Miller, who has been commissioning at the world-renowned newspaper for 25 years, and internationally commissioned illustrator Andri Cahuyu. They are joining us from the USA and Portugal. Curran, would you like to say a little bit more about yourself? Sure, thank you for inviting me to participate today. My name is Corinne Miller, and I am an art director at the New York Times. And I am currently the art director of Special Sections, which is a broad area where we do everything from some political stuff to some education and arts and museums. And I think I'm starting a women in leadership section next week. And so it's a wide range of material, which is fun. And I have done my tour at the Times and worked on pretty much every section from the style section to the art section to the science section to the home section, which is now not happening, as well as the travel section, which is now not happening. Hopefully they'll be revived after COVID is over. So I've had a wide range of experience and I look forward to even more stuff to come. So I started as print I'm a print art director, and now everything I do in print also ends up online. And sometimes I do online series that just run online, but lately they've been picking them up for print as well. <laughs> and Andre, could we have a little bit about you as well? Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. I've been working since I was 17 years old in editorial illustration and cartoon and caricature. So I've been working for 30 years this year. I've worked for, I started working in Portugal, then started working for the New York Times and the Independent on Sunday in London at the beginning of the 2000s. And I've been working in Europe for publications all over Europe and the United States ever since. So I do work mainly as opinion pieces and also editorial commission pieces. And I also recently started doing children's books, picture books. So I do a a range of things, but what I really like to do is draw, and I like to explore all the possibilities of it. Very exciting, thank you. So we brought in these two different voices within the field of editorial illustration, and you haven't worked together before, so that's, that's correct. Not yet. No, not yet, but we brought you together to kind of, we're looking to get a range of different viewpoints and perspectives for the episode today. So now moving on to the first question. Corinne, what do you feel is the essential and most relevant qualities for an illustrator working in editorial? Well, as Andre said, it's the most important thing is for the artist to love to draw and be able to draw. <laughs> and when I hire an artist to do a piece, it's usually when I can't get a photograph, when there's nothing to photograph. So it requires a thinking human who can draw to do something and that will add to the piece, the story, and also be a draw to the article, bringing people into to read the article that will work with the headline, because those are the first two things that people see as the headline and the piece of art. And when I work with an artist, it's great for them to have a few ideas, because they're, we're a team 
of people working together. I work with editors. And so it's not just that they don't just have to please me, but I have to please the editors. So we have to have a few options and the artists should be flexible. And sometimes we get one piece of art, one sketch from an artist, and it's just spot on great. And then we're good to go. Sometimes it's better to have a few options. And one of the things, and Andre could probably go on more about this, is when it's, at the New York Times, we're supposed to be neutral on most things and not have an opinion. So even if you do have an opinion, you can't really show that. And for the stuff that I work on. And so we have to be pretty neutral in our visual presentation because often the visual presentation of the material is sometimes more visceral than the actual words that you read. The visual is so much stronger. And I've had a bunch of experiences where I've gotten these brilliant pieces of art, but they were just too strong exactly about the article or complimenting the article, but the editors say, oh, no, it's just way too strong. Like, But that's what the story is about. And the visual is so much stronger than the written word sometimes. Andre, do you have any thoughts about that, what the most relevant qualities for the illustrator working in editorial might be? Well, you can look at it from different perspectives. It depends on the publication. If you want to go strict, like... Uh, Talk about a specific publication will have specific requirements, uh, as Corinne said about the New York Times. As an editorial cartoonist, no, illustrator, uh, generally, I think you, you should have a quick mind and a quick hand. It depends a lot of, on the assignment, but sometimes they don't give you that, that much time. You have to be very quick in coming up with ideas. And uh, as Corinne said, normally it's not good to just have one idea, although... In the beginning, when I started out, I would only have one idea because um, to have other ideas is an ability that you can train as also as, as your hand. You're not so prolific in, in that. But yeah, I, I would say that uh, you should have a wide cultural background. You should read a lot. You should know uh, about what's going on in the world. Even if it's not something in your area, you should try to be curious about everything. You should try to listen and be humble because you are trying to solve a problem that it's not yours and you should not be a problem yourself to the client. For example, when a publication comes to me, I try to only listen to the art director and I trust the art director that the art director knows best she or he is in the meetings, inside the meetings. I'm not. I don't want to be in the meetings. <laughs> I want to be a helpful to the art director, try to understand how she or he could be an advocate for the work because the art director chose me. So uh, I, I think we can both agree that the art director likes my work, but they also have to sell your work to the editors. So you have to be flexible, as Corinne said. It helps to have a background in graphic design because doing just a picture it's not really what you're being asked to do. You're being asked to do a picture that will be beside a text in a specific graphic context in a page. So you have to learn how the, the image is printed. You have to learn how this, it's composed in the page. You should be curious about everything and you should take inspiration from all areas except your own. That's my belief. <laughs> Thank you for that, Andre. I thought it was really interesting how you're talking about problem solving and being quick. So there's a lot of attributes here. Is there anything that you'd recommend yourself in terms of, you said that you only had one idea at the start and you've developed a way of coming up with lots of ideas. Is there any way you'd recommend for young illustrators how they could develop those skills? Well, I always remember what Dave Grohl from Nirvana and Foo Fighters said once about all these shows about X Factor and all these bands that have to be genius when they go to, on TV. And he said that if Nirvana had to go on one of these shows, they would never go through because mostly what they did in the beginning was make noise in the garage, right? So you have to find a safe space to fail. Some of the most valuable lessons you learn is, are by failing. 
And uh, of course, not while working for the New York Times or, <laughs> or <laughs> someone <happens>. else. You know? <laughs> of course, it happened to me also. <laughs> but I think you should try, you should fail, you should not be afraid to, to put yourself in a situation where you have to discover something that you didn't know. So you do personal projects, you practice at home or you practice with uh, fictitious assignments or something like that. And you try, try, try and you practice, practice, practice. When you start doing that for a long time, you start coming up, one, with your style because you find mistakes that actually work for you. And uh, you start finding out that you can do it. You can do it in a way that it's yours and it can be valuable to, in the future in a professional setting. So that would be my advice. It's interesting that you said that because as I have learned to be, I hope, a better art director than I was when I started, I've gotten better at selecting the different artists for the right projects and learning the steps and the communication skills that I need to share with the artist and what information I need to get from the editors because uh, sometimes I don't have a whole story to share. And so while you were talking about having, Andre, you mentioned having a broad knowledge of, of what's going on in the world. It's really important, I think, for artists to take a look at different websites and read different articles to see what's going on in the world so you have a clue and bring your personal experience without a strong opinion <laughs> for what I need. And the more personal experience you put into it, usually the better it is. And for sure, there have been, a, I've had experiences where the artists have not succeeded and I've had to pivot to somebody else in the last minute. So I try not to push it to the to the very last minute. Although you get better at it and you find people who are fast and you want the person that you've hired to do the job. But if, if it doesn't work out for a number of reasons, then it's good to have someone else in your back pocket. I don't go into a project with another person in my back pocket, but it is good to have faith in the, the person you've hired but also be able to give them enough time to come up with their best idea. And if it's not working out, go to somebody else. And I have come back to people who haven't hit a home run the first time, but I have come back to that artist before because, it was, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right fit. Sometimes the match isn't right. And that's my fault. It's not the artist's fault. It's, it's usually my fault when I've mismatched the artist to the piece. That's quite interesting, Corinne, because it leads on to my next question, which is for both of you as both art director and illustrator, was about any briefs that were challenging, so any sort of challenging briefs or sensitive topics that you've both been working on. And Corinne, I don't know if you want to lead with that since you were talking about having the illustrator in the back pocket, if there's any sort of challenging moments like that. Okay, sure, yes. I have two. I have a recent one and an old one. I'll start with the old one. One time I was working on a travel story that was very sensitive about women traveling and all the perils that go with it. And there was a piece that was already written. It was in. So I was able to share the article with the, the illustrator. And he did this brilliant, actually a few great sketches. And they were just too intense. They were too much like what I was saying. Once you see what your writer is writing about, it was too strong. And so even though I loved the piece, the editor did not like the piece. And I tried to advocate and sell it to the, the editor, but I was not able to. So what I had to go back to, I went back to the artist and I said, can you just tone it way back? And of course he was disappointed, but we were able to work through it. And he did a very nice piece that was much more bland and palatable. It wasn't as good, but <laughs> it was good, mm. good. It was still beautiful. And then recently... I was doing a piece that was not written for a deal book section, which is a business section, and the story hadn't been written, and it's about the future of business, right? We do this every year. Future, who knows? What, the, what is the future of business? Nobody knows, right? If we all knew, <laughs> uh, we'd all be rich, and we wouldn't have to be working. <laughs> but I hired an artist, and we talk, when I don't actually have something to give to the writer, I like to, to speak on the phone. So there's no miscommunication. And I hired an artist who's terrific, 
but completely didn't, we weren't on the same page and, and I was not happy with the sketches and the artist wasn't happy. It just wasn't working. And it was me hiring the wrong person for the job, but I had enough time. So I was able to hire somebody else who then was very conceptual about the piece. And then when I was able to share the sketches with my team and the writer, the writer wrote around the art which is very unusual. So in that case, it worked out really, really well. Mm. And Andre, have you got any stories like that that you've been given a brief that you found really challenging? I haven't had, well, I've had problems, but not because of the brief. I've had problems for a long time in the beginning of my career as more of a caricaturist and portraitist and more on the exaggerated side, you know. And... After 2000s, I began noticing, especially in the U.S., that you had to tone down the caricatures. It shouldn't be so exaggerated. It should be less offensive, quotes, <laughs> in quotes, because I, I never think that caricature is offensive, but it's debatable. And I remember there was one time with Stephen Heller in the New York Times, which is uh, an art director that I learned a lot with him, and he was like a mentor to me. I knew he liked my work and he knew that I would do whatever I could to do a proper portrait of a person. So he asked me to do, for the New York Times book review, this portrait, and he asked me to tone it down. And I was having trouble toning it down and maintaining the resemblance to the person. So sometimes when you want to be even in a portrait, too, too even, you lose the specific uh, points of resemblance that you have to capture. And if you're not too experienced with this, sometimes you just lose the face altogether. I mean, it, it starts not looking like the person. At the time I was more inexperienced, today I think I can, I can do it better. But at the time I, I, I remember I did six sketches and uh, they kept saying, tone it down and this is not her, tone it down, this is not her. And at some point I had to say, look, I have to admit that I can't do any better than this. And he was very understanding. And he said, um, well, that happens. I'll talk to you next week for another assignment. <laughs> but for me, it was a big deal. It was a big deal to say to the New York Times that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But I, at the time, I said, well, look, what's best is to be honest and not pretend that you're not someone that you're not. So we, I think honesty always wins. <laughs> and I trusted him and he had to trust me so I said I can't do it I can't do it any better and subsequently he gave me more assignments so it was fine it was a big lesson again I failed but I, I didn't fail again Right. Both of your answers then got me thinking about how closely the illustrator's work should resemble the text. So how much of the caricature looks like the person, for example. And Corinne, do you often commission illustrations that closely reflect the text or, like you were saying earlier, can be more almost complementary? Yes. Well, sometimes I think it totally depends on, on the assignment, right? Sometimes you want to see exactly what, what it is, but... It so depends on the project, but depending on what it is, then you might as well get a photograph, right? I think, Andre, you could agree. I mean, they're not going to hire you to do exactly a, an exact portrait because your skill, it comes from the humor or the exaggeration or making a, a stronger political statement that cannot be captured in a photograph. So when you can take a picture, well, it's certainly cheaper and easier, right? So we go with that because then it's more literal. But when you want something to add to the piece, I think it's nice to go beyond the literal and to add some whimsy or humor or satire or whatever it is that can add another level to the piece. And like I said before, and I think that just makes it more fun for me. And I feel like that I'm really adding something to the content. No, I think it's really interesting. And Andrea as well, when you're working and you get given kind of a piece to respond to, when you're drawing, we're thinking about something being quite literal or close, how do you approach it? Does your work often reflect the text or do you have a bit more freedom there? Well, again, it depends on the client. Nowadays, I have very regular clients that ask me to think, right? 
and ask me to think in a very specific way. For example, I, I work a lot for the New Statesman in UK, and sometimes I, I send them a drawing and they do a cover around it. It's not always, it's like it's the minority of cases, but to them, they asked me to have a political point of view. Of course, it can't be against what the magazine thinks or the editors think. And we know each other very well. We've been working for more than 10 years. So that works out. Uh, another client, I always try to think uh, as a personal perspective. Not exactly political, but I try to do a visual interpretation of a text that I'm given. I don't want to go against the text. But I also don't want to be literal and be redundant. Of course, you can also be like that. It's, it's fine. I mean, it depends a lot on, on the art direction and on the direction that the magazine wants to go. But I, I, think, I think it works best for me when I'm asked to do a point of view or um, a summation of the text or take the key concepts of the text and focus on them and do a graphic interpretation of them. It doesn't have to be extreme or divisive or <laughs> something like that. Just the way you draw something, sometimes just by the way of you framing the composition or something like that, you can add something or complement the text without going against it. I think it also makes a big difference if you're doing a cover that just has a headline and the pieces on the inside. So more is writing on the cover illustration and to draw you in and uh, as opposed to when it's actually sitting with the story itself. So there's a little more, I think there's a little more freedom sometimes when it's, it's really separated from the text. Interesting. I was also thinking about how encouraging up-and-coming illustrators. And Corin, do you aim to encourage new illustrators and how does commissioning them differ from commissioning more established practitioners? Okay, well, that's a great question and I love working with new people. But it depends on how much time I have. <laughs> if I have a, a turnaround that's 24 hours, I'm going to go with a sure thing. I'm going to go with an artist that I know and have a relationship with, and I know what I'm going to get when I've given the assignment. I love to work with young, new artists, but I need to have time so that we have more time for back and forth. And I've had some great experiences with new artists for me mm -hmm. that I haven't worked with and also student artists, but I would typically assign them a smaller piece, you know, like a one column, a one column illustration, just to try them out and then build on that. I also love to look at what other people are doing, other art directors and what other magazines are doing and what other artists are doing. You know, I just look around and I look at the other publications, I look at the artist websites, I get emails from people all the time. And I, I really do look at the emails. I used to get postcards. And that seemed a little bit more overwhelming because I'd have to actually open the envelope. Now I can just click on the email and look, look really quickly and, and opening illustration on the email. And, you know, that piece is really important to me because depending on that, I'll go to their website or I won't. I'll just delete the email. So if I find it offensive or, or something, I don't like the colors or there's too much animation that I just think I'm going to get a migraine or something, I, I just immediately delete that. So I'm, I do, I hired this one guy, uh, he just sent me an email and he said, hey Miller, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think he thought my first name was Miller, he was from another country, and so anyway, it was really fun, so he started, but I liked his work, so I wrote back, hey, you know, <laughs> and I hired him to do a couple of pieces, and, and it worked out really well, so I come to artists in so many different ways, and I don't always know the experience level that they have when I'm coming to them. I mean, yes, I can go and do a deep dive into their websites and see. But I did have another art, a young artist who did a, a piece for me, and she did a great job with the smaller illustrations, and then I gave her a cover, and I think it was just too much too fast. So I had to back off and go with somebody else. But she's an amazing artist, yeah. I guess that links to what you were saying earlier about it has to be the right illustrator for the right job as well. So it's knowing when it's too big a project maybe for a young up-and-coming illustrator. So maybe they might need, do you think, more support with roughs to get to the final artwork? Yeah, and more time. 
if we had more time, we could have gotten there. But I had to, again, you know, I had to move on to somebody else just because of the deadline. Mm -hmm. And Andre, thinking about your kind of early days and when you started out, has your practice and the way of working developed much since then? Well, yeah, I started out drawing really well. And then I had to practice on having ideas. And that was a conscious decision to not just be a virtuoso craftsman of images. Like someone said, talking is not enough, you have to say something. So I thought that with each work, even if, it, if I'm not required to, I would have to find a specific point of view. I'll give you an example. I was working for a Portuguese newspaper and they didn't have the article. They just said, look, do something about intellectuals. About intellectuals, that's completely abstract. So <laughs> you have to do a cover, it's about intellectuals, we don't have any more information to give you. So I started thinking, how, how should I process this? How, how should I do this? And I ended up doing an illustration with a man with a ball of wool. You know how you say it? A ball of wool that a cat plays with inside his head and all these threads extending to everything that was around him in, in the living room. So it's a kind of point of view of what an intellectual is. And he was looking at a cat playing with some wool. <laughs> this kind of idea with visual analogies, like you take a brain, a brain is an amalgam, amalgamation of something, and you go to the wool. Trying to br brainstorm ideas, I had to practice a lot with these things, and um, find a style of ideas also. I think it's not enough to find a style of a graphic style. It's also a, a way of thinking of an image that it's part of your style. So that was what I had to work more parallel to working how to solve uh, uh, the visuals, you know. So I was just thinking, so you were developing, coming up with a range of different ideas quickly, and that was what you were developing. Yes, and then those tools allow you to find ways to quickly find ideas for a specific topic, especially because you find different ways to approach an idea. You can go conceptual, you can go literal, you can go scenic or cinematic, you know, and these, all these you can sketch and you can present to the client and narrow down to what the client's vision is. Mm. So for both of you, do you expect the illustrator to come with lots of different ideas? Corinne and Andre, you come with lots of different ideas. That's something you're looking for. Yeah, I often, for me, I, I, I know that most of the artists that I work with are so much smarter than I am. They're so smart and they think on such different levels and dimensions that it's spectacular and it's really fun. And every time I assign a piece of art, and one, like a tricky one, like the one that Andre just explained. Like, you're just throwing it out there and you have no idea what you're going to get back. And then when you get it back, it's like opening a present. It's like Christmas. You don't know what's coming. And I'm usually very, very pleased. I was thinking as well about up and coming illustrators. And Andre, you don't have an agent, do you? You don't work with an agent. Has that always been the case? Yes, it was by chance. I started out working, well, in Portugal, you don't need an agent. It's a small country, a small market. You know everyone. So you just have to call them or go or send, send an email, see if they need you for something or present your portfolio. Outside, I was fortunate enough to, to get an award uh, in 2001 at the Society for News Design Competition in the U.S. for Illustrator's Portfolio. And in the jury was Carolyn Roberts. She was the art director of the Independent on Sunday. And she contacted me afterwards to, to do weekly covers for the Independent on Sunday. And um, the art director that sent the work, he's a Portuguese art director, he went to the U.S. to get the awards. And to get into the, the event, he had to pay $400, which I didn't have. So I gave him a, a portfolio. And told them, look, uh, just give it to whichever feels is right. Uh, just, I trust you. And he saw a stand, a New York Times stand, and people were piling on portfolios. And he put it on the pile. And I was contacted by Stephen Heller three months later. So a few months after that, after I was working for the Stephen Heller for some time, I met him in London. 
I went to London specifically to meet him. And I asked him, should I have an agent? Should I go to school in New York? Should I, what should I do? Maybe I'm not doing something right. And he said, well, look, people go to school to work for me. You're working for me. So why go to school? And I don't work with agents. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have an agent. But my personal uh, path has been to not have an agent. Maybe one day I'll have one. Uh, I don't know. But until this point, I didn't need to. And Corin, and I know you were saying that you were finding illustrators, they sometimes contact you in emails. But do you ever go through agents? Occasionally I will go through an agent. Sometimes in an emergency I'll go through an agent and they can help me. They can help me find someone who they know is available because many of the artists who I, I send an email to, usually, I don't even know how artists are on their email all the time. They really respond pretty quickly. And I'm really impressed with that. But when I go through the agent, they say, oh, that guy, I know that guy is not, or that woman is not available. And it could be because they're pushing another artist, to be honest, who knows. But they know who's available for a quick turnaround. And they can sometimes help me if, if I'm in a pinch. So there is a big advantage sometimes to working with an agent. But of course, it's always better to work directly with the artist because it's just one step closer. So it's just easier communication. I should add that I know very successful people, illustrators, that work with agents and they are happy with it. So I guess it's finding the <laughs> right yeah, the right balance, the what works for you. And I was just thinking as well, Andrew, you were talking about your portfolio. But Corinne, do you ever look through illustrators' portfolios and then what do you want to see in those when you're commissioning? Yes, well I always like a good sense of humor. So that's something that I personally like, but it's kinda nice when you know what you're gonna get from the artist, but I do also enjoy that they can do different things. And often when I'm assigning an artist who has different styles, you know, whether it's pen and ink or watercolor or computer art or whatever, I have to specify what kind of art I, I want. And usually that's part of my original why I've chosen that person to begin with is because I have this thing in my head of what I want. But then... I'm always open to other ideas. And so if the artist does do a different style, I'm, I'm open to that. If the artist thinks that that would work better or if the artist thinks they can deliver more easily and, and more effectively in one style versus another style, I'll listen and I'll look and hopefully it will work out. But yes, before I hire an artist, I'll look at all their work that I can see. I'll either Google image them or I'll go to their website or whatever I can find, I'll look at. And do you ever look for illustrators who specialise outside in other areas, for example, children's books, and then you commission them for editorial work? Or do you predominantly work with illustrators who are focused on editorial? I wouldn't choose an artist based on the work they've done as a children's book illustrator. Or Many of the artists that I use often have also illustrated children's books. But for me, children's book work doesn't always work for what I'm looking for. So if that's all they've got, to be honest, I probably wouldn't hire an exclusively children's book artist because that's not what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And Andre, you were saying you're working on children's books now, right? Do you find that the other practice feeds into your editorial work? So one kind of feeds the other? Yeah, well, once you have an uh, established style in editorial, it's very difficult to pivot sharply one way or the other to another style. So the way I do it, because I get bored with doing the same thing over and over, what I do is I approach other areas that are kind of the same and not the same. Like For example, now I'm very interested in uh, illustrating poetry and illustrating children's books. And I'm writing children's books also because I became a father. So that's earth-shattering event (laughs) that changes you. So, uh, yeah, it allows me to test and uh, try other things that I can't try with editorial. As as Corinne said, there are some things that are just too time-consuming. For example, my children's books now are made with watercolor. And I wouldn't dream of doing watercolor for editorial illustration simply because I can't control it myself as quickly uh, and as well as I should. 
to do editorial work. But what I learn, for example, I also do animation. What I learn in animation, sometimes I, I bring to the editorial. I call them research and development projects. And editorial is more of the commercial side. And of course, everything is commercial. Everything is research and development. I don't have a studio, it's just me. <laughs> but I, sometimes uh, in my head I just regard it as, a, okay, now I'm going to play a little. And to play a little, it's better to have personal projects to do that. And children's books, for example, are my personal projects. But then that feeds into assignments and commissions. Sometimes people start commissioning me things that I did as a personal project. They start commissioning me that because they liked it. But if I didn't do it before, they would not understand if I just said, oh, now I want to try something completely different in watercolor or something like that. They wouldn't know what I was talking about. So it's better to do it first. That's interesting because when I do look at people's websites and I do look at their sketchbooks, which is, I guess, usually personal work, I have hired people based on their personal work because I really love what I see there. And obviously, they have a personal passion for that. So I know that they're going to be really into doing it. And so uh, <laughs> I've hired people based on their sketchbooks and, as opposed to their final serious portfolio stuff or editorial work. Yeah, sometimes with the sketchbooks, you're freer and the work is better. And when you try to finish it, you ruin it, which is kind of balance that you're always trying to learn. I myself am completely aware of it because sometimes the digital side ruins the spontaneity of the sketching, the looseness of it. I agree. I was also interested, Andre, you were talking about motion work as well. Is motion work something that you've been developing? Is it time-consuming or a big commitment at kind of expanding that part of your practice? Yeah, well, uh, I'm um, from the generation that we did the transition from analog to digital. So for me, I was very hopeful of the digital and always thinking of new ways. I always thought the digital would bring new ways of communicating. Of course, it did. And new ways of creating art. Of course, it did. And for example, for the uh, editorial illustration, for me, it's always a conundrum how to adapt something that was made for print to a multimedia environment. I always thought that I could try to evolve the medium, like, for example, political cartooning. It should be animated, have sound. Voice work, it's too time-consuming, so maybe not voice work, but some people do it. I've identified two main ways to adapt illustration to multimedia. Either you animate it or make a movie or it, or you do the process of building it. Like you film, you screen capture, you making the illustration. Also, people really like to, to watch the magic happen. So uh, I try different approaches. Curran, do you think a motion work is something that's important for editorial right now or a direction that's, that it's going in? Yes, I think right now, since most of the New York Times subscribers are online subscribers, there is an interest in doing subtle animation. And right now, we stopped doing GIFs, and now the files that, that we accept are movies or MOVs because they load faster and everything is about speed. Like if it doesn't load in two seconds, no one's going to stick around to watch it. But I think not all, but many of the illustrations online have subtle animation. And I think because of the technology, it's something people expect and want. And it does get a little more attention, to be honest. Not, it's not always good, but, <laughs> but I do think it can add a little extra. It evolves with the platforms, for example, once Instagram introduced video in a loop, you can suddenly do loop animation. If you can do loop animation, you can do a minimum of three seconds, and it loops like 10 cycles or something like that. So you don't have to do a movie. You don't have to be a movie producer or something like that. Sometimes you just animate a specific element of the image, or you build the image or you do a sequence like a narrative sequence there's lots of potential and possibilities it's very interesting 
interesting thinking about that and how platforms can alter trends as well and styles. Andre, with your own style, my students often question me about style all the time. And I wanted to know, um, how did you develop your style and the exaggeration of features for your characters? Well, the exaggeration of features is because in the 90s, my heroes were the extreme caricaturists, like Ralph Steadman, Giles uh, Scarf, David Levine, some Americans, some uh, British. And I always try to extend the resemblance of a character uh, to the maximum extreme. Also, Spitting Image, that I subsequently worked for, that was just a reflection of my references. The style itself, I had the same problem. I had the, the problem of which style do I choose or do I have? At the time, a style was intimately related to the technique you're using. For example, if you use the color pencils or if you use autocolor or ink or pen, you would have that style. So when I started working, it was the beginning of computers. I had my first Apple in 94. So I started experimenting with different mediums, saying, okay, if I have to choose a style and I can't choose one, maybe I can choose a little bit of all of them. And I started mixing styles with the computer. And my digital approach was always that. Draw it by hand, put it, scan it, and then combine them with specific uh, criteria that I would change. For example, hair would be pencil work and uh, a face would be ink work or something like that. And then I, I started evolving from these uh, core principles. So nowadays, I don't think I'm so much concerned with style because uh, I, I don't have to think about it. It just comes naturally. And do you notice, I mean, for both of you really, that styles can kind of come with trends. So there'll be ones that are more popular at certain times than others. I mean, Andre, how do you overcome that with your work? Sometimes you might be more in demand and... Corinne, as well, there must be certain trends or styles that you're looking for at certain moments. So it'd be interesting to hear both of your opinions on that. So, yeah, there are definitely styles that come in and out. I mean, as the computer came around, then there was more digital stuff. It was more popular, moving away from more hand-drawn line art. And I personally like to mix it up, but for sure. And then, like, as soon as you use somebody and they like that artist, then they get picked up by other people, whether within your own company, for me, or other art directors at the New York Times will use them, and then other people will see the work, and then it just sort of snowballs, and then you try to call them up, you know, the next month or the next six months, and oh, they're too busy, because now they're in hot demand. <laughs> they're being used everywhere, so I can't get them. Then there's the tried and true, and the, the people who are just solid, as you said at the very beginning, like people who can draw. That's a real skill that, that's not going to go away. And you can count on that, I think, all the time. And if you embellish it with a little computer skill or a little whatever the animation is or something, I think there's always going to be something that's, that's in style. But like, like anything, it sometimes goes back and evolves or the old stuff comes back. <laughs> that's what I think. Andre, what do you think? Well, yeah, I completely agree. When digital came, our biggest problems, for example, if I wanted to have a flat surface with a single color, it was very difficult to have it with the paint or something like that. And suddenly the computer came in and you could just uh, feel that color and you knew that color was exactly the same. For example, in a printing shop, they always told you, oh, uh, you would uh, complain that the color was not exactly what you wanted and they would complain, oh, but uh, this is not the color you gave us. But suddenly with digital, you could specify percentages of color and you could control the work as much as you could. What this gave rise to was very perfect work. At the end of the 90s, suddenly everyone was doing these pristine illustrations and I was doing the, a little bit of that too. Too digital and uh, until recently, there was this digital illustration that now I think younger illustrators are finding the value of the error, you know, the chance that you find in hand or specific printing techniques. You humanize the digital images, and I think that's also very, very interesting now. And also myself, I used to do things with digital 
that I don't do anymore because I realized that it was too gimmicky. Like I used to put cloths in, in illustrations and, and scan specific textures. And now I just try to draw everything by hand because I think it's more um, closer to a human approach and more interesting and less mechanized. Yeah, it seems in the work that I'm commissioning, it's, it's exactly, there's a retro, <laughs> little retro style of hand-drawn stuff right now. And as you bring up color and accuracy and, and all of that, so there's the whole digital aspect and the print aspect. So printing at the New York Times is like printing, printing on wet paper towel. So there, <laughs> there are lots of um, problems that come with that. Like if you're doing a garden or lots of greens and, and really subtle, beautiful greens, when it comes out in print, it's all just going to be one green, unless you're really far apart in the colors. All the subtlety will be lost. It'll look beautiful online. Beautiful. But it will not look the same in print. And so that is also a giant consideration when you're now having to think about the same piece of work will be presented. Yeah, yeah. that's something that the illustrators should know and research. That reminds me that I miss black and white work, like the work of Hirschfeld and Levine. I mean, they did work for newspapers because newspaper, I mean, it was printed in black and white. And I miss that kind of simple line stroke. And nowadays we are asked to do like big visual uh, treaties of color that sometimes in the newspaper you can't print it. You have to do a middle ground. I have used a few artists who have done line art, but then there's put like a splash of color. Just oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> It's yeah. like, okay, it is a four color <laughs> uh, uh, newspaper. <laughs> But sometimes, actually, in, in some of our, our sections, we don't even know if we're going to get color in every single page. So as an artist, it's always good to convert your work to black and white to see how it's going to look because we're not always guaranteed a color page for every page that we're working on. And sometimes we don't know until the day we're closing. It's quite interesting talking about these different visual approaches that um, illustrators could have. I know, Andre, in your own work, that you've got you collage photography or there's different graphical approaches that you have. Do commissioners often come to you and specify exactly what style or approach they want you to have to an article? Uh, yeah, well, if it's a new client, if they don't, I'll ask what kind of work they like better. But that doesn't happen often because... Usually I work f for a, a specific set of clients mm -hmm. and I can do variations, but no, that doesn't come up often. Sometimes I know, I already know what they want, mm. you know, and they know that I know. <laughs> so it's, it's, there's no point. <laughs> if you go to my website, you have to pick which one because I can just go off and do some crazy thing. It's, it's possible. So you should tell me what you want. <laughs> and uh, Corinne, what's your thoughts on illustrators having more than one visual approach? I like it. But we may have touched on this before. I think um, sometimes I'll go to an artist because I, I really I have this in my mind, a specific style in, in mind. And then sometimes I get really bummed out if they go to another style that I don't like. And then often I'm happily surprised if it comes out better in a style that I didn't expect. And then I'll say, hey, oh, do you mind doing it? And if I don't like it, do you mind doing it in the style that I requested? <laughs> so I try to be as specific as possible going in. But once in a while, you miss a step. So I'm usually happily surprised. What I usually do is once you get the sketching stage uh, out of the way, you secure the ideas, you secure the composition and the drawing. And then if you want to risk uh, doing some experiment with the technique of finishing it you know you have time and you know you can fall back to the same sketch and resolve it differently if the art director doesn't like it that only happens if you have time and if you are sure that it's worth the risk you know sometimes it's not worth it to just throw some crazy thing <laughs> out there and see if it sticks yeah, and I've had situations where I've had a, a great sketch and then we go to final and the final is not at all, at all what the sketch looked like. And I usually like it, to be honest. And then I show it to my editor and they're already married to the original idea. And then they say, oh my God, this doesn't look anything like what I wanted. 
And I want to go back. And I'm like, well, there's no time to go back. This is what we've got. And that's the part where I have to sell it and say, no, this is really great. And it was really funny. I had one. I, I don't like to give names, but, but I had this one great sketch. And the final was completely different. But I loved the final. But my editor hated it. He was so mad at me. And it was a cover. And I thought it was good. And then, funny enough, it got picked up by advertising. It became a part of a big advertising campaign. So that felt pretty good to me. And the artist, too, I'm sure. So as we're kind of coming to the end, I was wondering if you both had any thoughts or advice for up-and-coming illustrators or ideas about the future directions of editorial we could draw to a close with. Wow, it's such a big thing. You know, honestly, I mean, if you pick up any newspaper or magazine, all the art directors at the New York Times are so varied in their interests and styles of their interest in artists and the, the styles that they like, that that it's really hard. It's, you know, because we're all so different. And that goes for all of publications everywhere, that it's really hard to say. But for me, the stuff that I like, I'll still say it's a varied bag, a mixed bag of stuff. I really enjoy the variety. And I think in many of the pieces that I'm working for, because the world is so dark and depressing at this moment in time, that I go for levity and not like uh, laugh out loud humor. I mean, unless it's appropriate and who doesn't love that? But I go for lighter stuff because a lot of the stuff I do is not news-based. So I try to... um, add a little joy to people's lives. So if you're asking me, that's what I'm interested in. I'm not sure what the future of editorial will be because we don't really know what the future of newspapers will be. I think there will always be newspapers, editorial, and journalism is one of the basic needs of human knowledge. So I want to think that our work is necessary. I would advise any artist to just try to find their own voice when I was talking before about having ideas and think about a subject or an issue, is because visual trends come and go, but if you think about issues in a certain way, people will want you for your mind, not for your hand. People will want you to help them think graphically about a subject, not just do a pretty picture, you see? Because pretty pictures, what, what's pretty changes pretty much over time. But what doesn't change is the need to rationalize and to, the need to process information. So if you are a, an artist that is used to or, or educate yourself in processing information, visually of course, you have something that is always wanted. You are able to critically think about something. If you have a background, a knowledge, a cultural background that allows you to do that, that's the most important thing, because trends, you can always draw differently, but only you think the way you think. So thank you so much, Corin and Andre, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for all of your great answers. Thank you, Rachel. This was a joy. It was so nice to meet and talk to Andre and you, Rachel, and it's a real pleasure. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you to you both for chatting to us today and some excellent insights. And just to wrap up, I wanted to close with some thoughts from our discussion. Editorial illustrators should practice coming up with ideas and be curious, looking at the world around you, discovering ways to think graphically about a subject. You can use personal projects, such as sketchbooks, to find your own voice as an illustrator, which can then be brought into your editorial commissions. The quality of drawing from the human hand will always be valued by the commissioner, as emphasised by both of our guests today, and this will enhance your illustrative voice. As a member, you can explore the full range of content from the editorial season, available at theaoi.com forward slash inside hyphen illustration. Thank you for listening.